Unexpected Jesus. It's a series we started a couple of months ago, and we come to the final message of this series. Uh, the genesis of the series came from a song called Shadow Step. And in the midst of the song, there was a line that uh, said, Fix my heart to yours, ready for the unexpected, ready for what you'll do next, so take another step. And it comes down to us fixing our hearts to the heart of Jesus, and then we've got to be ready for the unexpected. And then when we're ready for it, then whenever Jesus takes that next step, he says, come and follow me, we then take that next step. So what we've done is we've gone through the Gospels and we've looked at unexpected times, unexpected times when Jesus came, showed up or had unexpected conversations or, or revelations. And, and we've walked all the way through from the moment that, uh, that he began his ministry till he died on a cross. And when he was crucified on a cross for the sins of all of us, three, they took him from the cross put him in a tomb, and then three days later, he was raised from the dead. We just celebrated Easter a few weeks ago. And so after that, having risen from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, and the Bible says to another 500 people, and uh, spent 40 days pouring into his disciples, and he gave them a great commission to go and take this message into all the world. And then he ascended to heaven. And so after he ascended to heaven, then there began to be this uh, this growth of the church as the Holy Spirit came and, uh, and began to empower the apostles and, and they began to go and, and share mainly there in Jerusalem and things began to really take off. But even as things were beginning to take off, also persecution began to increase. Because see, what Jesus was doing was different than what those who are of the Jewish faith. Because as they believed what we know today is what we call the Old Testament, and they believed there was going to be a different kind of Messiah that would come, and they didn't think that Jesus was the one, and that actually what he was doing was destroying the law, not fulfilling the law, so they were bowing up against them. And it says persecution began to break out, and you really pick up on this in uh, Acts chapter 7. And in Acts chapter 7, there was one of the deacons of the church, one of the first deacons that was elected, stood boldly and proclaimed who Jesus was. And when he stood before the leaders of the religions, a group of that time, when he finished his talk, they were so angry, they took him out and they stoned him. And when they stoned him, were introduced to a man by the name of Saul. And if you have your Bibles in Acts chapter 7, in verse 58, it says here, it says, and then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so you're introduced to him and then you see him in chapter 8 verse 1, he says, and Saul approved of his execution. So as everyone's determining, should we stone him or not? He's one of the guys that's going thumbs up. He needs to be stoned for what he's done. And then they said persecution broke, and they began to scatter. But in verse 3, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women, and he committed them to prison. Saul, as we learn, is this Pharisee. He sat under a great teacher. He was well-respected. He was one of the great scholars of his day, and he was uh, zealous about his faith. And he so disagreed with who Jesus is and what he said and all the claims as believers that there just began to be this anger inside of him. In verse 3, it says he ravaged the church. That word ravaged, when you look at it, the definition of that is a wild beast going through a vineyard, a wild beast ripping into somebody's body. He ravaged the church. You'll see later in chapter 9, verse 21, when someone described him and he said he's created havoc 
One of the translations of the word havoc is the word maul, to where he's like being mauled by a wild beast. This is Saul. This is how they described him. So this is a man who's almost more, more animal than human because he is so built, pent up with anger and fury over what these Christians believe, and he's so filled up with prejudice that he has made it his life's goal to eradicate Christianity. And he started right there in Jerusalem. And everyone he could round up, he would round them up, and he'd bring them in, and they would be imprisoned, and for some, they would be killed. And so this man named Saul, now just to help you today, because some of you may say, who is Saul? Well, Saul ends up changing his name to Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament. But this is before his conversion. So I just kind of also want to let something out to you. Sometimes I'll call Saul Paul. If you can just go back and call him Saul, I will appreciate that, okay? I can't tell you how many times I've kind of practiced talking through this message, and every time I'll throw Saul, Paul for Saul, they're the same thing. Just give me a break. Got me? All right. But let's see if we can make it through with Saul, because that's who he was, Saul of Tarsus. So here's Saul of Tarsus. <clears throat> and he's getting ready in Acts chapter 9 to have what we term a Damascus Road conversion. And this is such an important event that it is talked about three times in the book of Acts. The actual event is recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 9. Two other times, Paul, speaking before individuals, tells his testimony, and he tells the same story. It is that important. It is the most important conversion story in the history of Christianity because it changes everything because of who Saul, who, changed, who became Paul, and what he did for Christianity. So there was an unexpected appearance. And we're going to look through this passage, Acts chapter 9, and you will see various unexpected appearances. And the first unexpected appearance of Jesus is, has a purpose, and it is for salvation. Each unexpected appearance has a purpose. The first one is for salvation. So let's, let's read Acts chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 19. He says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So what he did was he was working in Jerusalem, and he says, you know what? A lot of Christians have fled to other cities. Damascus has got some large synagogues up there. He went to the high priest, and he said, will you give me extradition papers? And I will take a group with me, and we'll travel all the way to Damascus. And if I find any Christians up there, I will arrest them, bind them, and bring them back to Jerusalem, and then we can do with them whatever we want to do. They said, great shows the confidence they had in him. And the anger that he had wasn't satisfied just to be here in Jerusalem. He's got to eradicate this thing completely. And so we're looking for everywhere everybody fled, and I'm going after them. And so that's where he was going, getting ready to head to Damascus. Damascus was about 150 miles north, about a seven-day journey, and that's where he's heading. And so now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So he's near the end of the seven-day journey. He approaches Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. When he tells his own account, he says it's about noonday. So it's about middle of the day. A light flashes from heaven, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the house, to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias departed and he entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And so As he's going down this road to Damascus, he's right outside the city limits. This bright light hits him, and he hears his voice. And it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he asks the questions. He says, who are you, Lord? And here was the response. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. That's all he said. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And that's all he needed to hear. That's all he needed. He didn't need any more information. That was, that was it. You see, in order for him to combat the teachings of Jesus, I would assume that he had to listen and study the teachings of Jesus because he so vehemently disagreed with them. So he'd heard all the teachings of Jesus. The thing he couldn't handle is this resurrection thing because everyone kept saying he's risen from the dead. And he just said, that just can't be true. And all of a sudden, here he is, and he beholds the risen Christ undeniable proof that Jesus both lived and he reigned in glory. And then Jesus comes to him and he says, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Now, I thought this was, this was interesting because a couple of verses up, we know exactly what he was supposed to do. I've got the papers of extradition. I'm going to go to Damascus. I'm going to the synagogue. I'm going to identify anybody that says they're a Christian and I'm going to arrest them and I'm going to take them back to Jerusalem. Jesus says, put all your plans aside. Different plans, because there's a different planner. And he said, now I will be in charge of your life, and I will tell you what to do. What Christ did was he interrupted this guy's career, Saul's career, that was headed towards persecuting the church, and he turned him in an opposite direction to where now he would be a zealous witness for the church. Saul had been doing what he liked and what he thought best and what his will dictated, but from this time forward, he will begin to do what Christ wants him to do. And it's interesting because there were others that were there, these officers of the, of the court, and they saw the light, they heard a voice, but they didn't really understand it. It was only Saul who saw the risen Christ and heard the voice and understood what the voice said. 
All they did was saw a light and heard a voice. But then when they looked down, their leader, Saul, was blind. And so they take him and they carry him and take him into Jerusalem. And it was interesting because the way he was planning on, to Damascus, the way he was planning on getting into Damascus was with a bunch of fury and fire and, and chest pumped out and said, I'm here and I'm going to be taking names and kicking some rear, all right? And we're going to get these guys and we're going to bring them out of here. But in God's economy, he came in there helpless, having to be carried by others as a blind man. But I'll tell you one thing he did. When he entered that city, he was a new man because he was saved. And because he had seen the risen Lord already, there was a change that was happening in his life. Now, we use this term, uh, Damascus uh, Road Conversion. And we use it at times when people say, man, it was just like this. I was just, it was like the Spirit struck me. And I understood and I made decision for Christ. And it was interesting, the more that I read about this, I love what some authors have said. And they said this was actually a sudden surrender, not a sudden conversion. This was actually a sudden surrender, not a sudden conversion. I want you to listen to this. Because you see, for Saul, for Saul, he knew about Jesus. He'd listened to his teachings, and, uh, and so he knew a lot about him. He's the one who went and watched Stephen, this deacon, stand up and boldly face down all the religious leaders of their day and talk about the risen Christ. And when he was stoned, he saw that look on his face. He saw the peace that was on his face. And that just stays with you. It says uh, later when he tells some of the things he did, he would go into cities and pull people out and try to get them to blaspheme against Jesus, and they wouldn't. And so he has people that he says, your life is in my hands. You need to say that Jesus is not risen from the dead. And they said, I can't, because he has. And that just has got to begin to stay in your mind. And so his whole life has been a frenzy ever since the resurrection because all he's doing is going from here to there and he's grabbing people and imprisoning them. And now everything slows down because he's got a seven-day journey. And as he's taking this seven-day journey, he has these officers of the court with him, but a Pharisee, a really good Pharisee, doesn't really spend time with the common man. So he really wasn't hanging out with these guys. They were traveling together, but there was a separation. So he's just on his own. Walking, thinking, anger over this Christian stuff, but then wondering, what is it about these guys? What was it about Stephen? What was it about these others? What is it about these followers? And so for him, there's a wrestling match that's going on inside of him, and he's got like seven days to begin to put all the noise of the world to the side and begin to really think about this. And guess what? When he got to that point, and the ascended Christ was there, and he appeared to him and spoke to him, he knew. That was it. It was a sudden surrender to where he said, it makes sense. I'm ready. You know, I, I, I thought about that, and uh, we talk about Damascus Road conversions, and, and I kept thinking about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a confirmed atheist. In fact, he had written when as a 17-year-old a letter to a friend telling him about his atheistic views and that there's just no way there could ever be a God. And what C.S. Lewis did was he, he would read books by others who, uh, who believed as he did. But then he also read books by Christian scholars. And as he was reading books by Christian scholars and then reading by those who said there was no God, he, he kind of got into a little bit of a turmoil. 
But then he had an opportunity to go and get a teaching professorship at a college, and he met two to three really good friends, and they were all strong believers. And he was so impressed with their brilliance and with their logic. And when they would get into these deep discussions, he really began to challenge him. And he said in 1929, he wrote a note and he said, I now believe in God. He went from an atheist to a theist to where he says, I believe in God. Now, I haven't really accepted all the Christ stuff, but I believe in God. And for the next two years, he wrestled with this. These, these two to three friends continued to pour into him, have long conversations. And then it came in September of 1931. And in September of 1931, uh, there was like an all-night session with these men that were talking to him and helping him deal with some of the misgivings he had about Christianity. And uh, after that night, he began to, to think about these things. And then a few days later, on September 28th, he was in a motorcycle sidecar his brother was driving the motorcycle, and they were going to a new zoo that was opening. And the words of C.S. Lewis, when I got in the sidecar, I was not a believer. When we got to the zoo and I got out of the sidecar, I was a believer. So was that a sudden conversion, or was that a sudden surrender? That was a sudden surrender. Now, I don't know how bad his brother drove that motorcycle. That could have been... Uh, that could have been it. To say, oh, praise God, you've got to be real. <laughs> How did we make it here? And so, so he makes his decision. See, it, it, doesn't, it can happen a lot of different places to where you come to that point to where you receive Christ as Savior. And whether it's a sudden surrender to where either intellectually or volitionally you've been wrestling with this or even a sudden conversion. Because I've talked to people who were just far away from God, sitting in a service or wherever, and all of a sudden, God's Spirit hit them, and they made that decision. But no matter whether it's uh, a, a, a sudden uh, conversion or surrender, for a person to make a decision for Christ, there are three aspects that go no matter which way, okay? No matter how you come to Christ, these are three things that will have to be a part of it. Number one is this. You experience a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You experience a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, it may be a light on a road like to Damascus. It may be in a sidecar of a motorcycle. It may be where you're just talking to a friend. It may be when you're reading the Scripture and, you, and all of a sudden it just comes out to you and you're convicted of your sins and you say, I want to receive this Christ. It could be that a total stranger came up to you one day and took a pamphlet or a three circles booklet or something and said, can I just talk to you about what it means to be a Christian? And they walk through that and you look up and you say, that makes sense. I'd like to ask Christ to come into my heart. It could be that you're sitting at a beach and you're just reflecting on all that's going on in life and all of a sudden it's like God stirs your heart and you say, it is real. I want Christ to come into my heart. Or it could be that you're sitting in a Sunday morning service here at church. And it could be this morning that there's this unexpected appearance that Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is beginning to stir your heart and say, this is what I need to do. It was the unexpected appearance, and the unexpected appearance was for salvation. But once that came to Saul, and then put in motion other unexpected appearances. The second unexpected appearance was when Jesus appeared to Ananias. 
And for Jesus coming to Ananias, excuse me, uh, first of all was uh, experiencing a personal relationship with Christ. Number two, let me give you a second over here. Surrender to him in penitence and faith. Surrender to him in penitence and faith. There's a surrender that has to come. And that is that we recognize that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God. And because because I've sinned, that sin is keeping me uh, from having a relationship with God. I'm outside of there. And I need to feel sorry for my sins, know that I'm convicted for my sins, and then in a step of faith, accept Christ who died on the cross to pay for my sins. And so he says, I've already done everything. I've paid for your sins. If you will just accept this gift. And so it's by faith. And so when, when Paul decided to say, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to go into the city. It was almost at that point he's saying, who are you, Lord? Lord told him who he was. He had this personal connection with Christ. And then he says, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. And we have to come to that point to where we just step over that line of commitment and say, God, I want you to come into my life. And I like what one commentator said for this third point, and that is receive his summons to service. Receive his summons to service. That's a great word. Because, see, when you come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, folks, just want to make it real clear to you. It's not just something where you can check a box off and say, good, now I can join a church and I can put it on my resume and the people at the Chamber of Commerce will be happy with me or, or maybe when I'm doing a job interview. And, and, and so now i got that Christian thing. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. What that means is you have asked the Lord of the universe to come into your life and to empower your life, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are, you are created for good works. And, and so what has just happened is when you receive Christ as Savior, then all of a sudden he gives you a summons for service, and he says, hey, let me tell you what's getting ready to happen. Some incredible things. You are getting ready to serve the God of the universe, and you receive this summons for service. You see, what happened was Saul turned from being Jesus' most zealous persecutor to his most passionate witness. He fixed his eyes on Jesus, and he fixed his heart on Jesus, and he said, I'm ready for the unexpected, ready for what will come next. You just take another step. And Jesus told him, you go to the city and you wait, and I will tell you what you need to do. And this is exactly what Saul did. And the same thing could happen for you today. Those same steps, seeing who Jesus is as the Son of God, realizing that your sin has separated you from him, and then come to a point to where you say, I want Christ to come into my life. I want him to forgive me of my sins, give me a new start, and allow me to live for him. And then one day, when you step out of this world, you step into eternity with him forever. It was unexpected appearance. It was for salvation. But then there was an unexpected appearance with Ananias, and that was for a radical call to obedience. Ananias is one of the favorite stories. It should be for every layperson because he's the hero for every layperson over here. Ananias, he is a believer. He's in Damascus, and the Lord comes to him in a vision. There's nothing in the Scripture that says he was shocked by that. I always appreciated that. It wasn't like, whoa, uh, didn't know you were coming, Lord. And he he came to a vision, and he gave him some instructions, and and he gave him very specific instructions, and and he laid it all out. He says, I want you to go to a street called Straight. That is the major thoroughfare in Damascus. It goes from east to west, and it is there today. That same road is there today. And he said, I want you to go to the street called Straight. I want you to go to Judas' home, and then you're going to see a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul. You'll see him there. He's going to be praying, and he's blind, and uh, and you're going to regain, uh, lay hands on regain his sight. 
And, and so it's about as specific as it can be. This is exactly what you need to do. And Ananias <laughs> comes back, and don't you love his response? And it is one that every one of us would give, and that is, Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. I love his answer, because in essence what he's doing is he's saying, you want me to do What? You want me to do what? Saul of Tarsus? And he comes back and says, hey, Lord, I've been talking to people, and they're saying this man is a very, very bad man. <laughs> it was Babu of Seinfeld, you know? <laughs> He's a very, very bad man. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but you need to talk to people because he's a bad man. It's kind of like that God doesn't know it. It's like God says, oh, that's Saul. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> what was I thinking? Oh, I've got, I, got, I got Saul of Caesarea. I get those confused all the time, you know, over there. Yeah, this is the guy. But when he does that, do you see what the first word that Jesus, that Jesus gives to him when he answers him back? And it's a really a great answer. The first word he says, what's the first word it says in your Bible? Mine says, Go. <laughs> so, hey, do you know who this guy is? He says, hey, go. Go. And then let me explain it to you. This man, this Saul, I'm going to use him. And he is going to be a witness to the Gentiles and to kings and to the people of Israel. And he's going to suffer for my name's sake. But he is going to be used in some mighty ways. So what you need to do is you need to go. It was a radical call to obedience. Can you even imagine that? Just You need to put yourself in the story of the one man that as a Christian you would fear the most. The one man that you say, we don't want him coming to our city. And guess what? He's coming. And when he's coming to our city, when he comes in, I've got to make a decision. Will I stand for Christ or not stand for Christ? Because if I do with this man, he's going to take me, he will arrest me, and I'll either be imprisoned or I'll be murdered and he's coming to our city. Oh, God. And now God has come to me and said, I want you to go to his house. Make it easy for him to arrest you. I want you to go to where Judah, this, uh, where is this man's house, and then there I want you to give him this message. God, that would be scary. But Ananias went, and he goes over there. It's radical obedience. It's that radical obedience is God could be asking you to do the some of the same things today. God could be asking you to take a step of faith that on the surface is risky. It makes no logical sense. But you're getting a clear word from God to do this. It's an unexpected appearance with a radical call to obedience. Now, I don't know what that is. I can give you examples of people that have done it, and there are people that are sitting here today that have done it. And I'm not sure exactly what your situation is, but I do believe that, that Jesus will make unexpected appearances to us to where he calls us to radical obedience, to do something that is so risky it doesn't even seem logical. But yet, by getting a clear word from the Lord, it's like we need to take that step of faith. That may be you today. That may be why you're here today. Maybe why you're watching on live stream today. Is there is something that you have been dealing with and God's wanting to give you a word of confirmation and said, go. Just like he told Ananias, you need to go. 
So he had an unexpected appearance to Ananias, which then led to the third unexpected appearance, and that was Ananias to Paul. And so when Ananias uh, comes to Saul, (laughs) when Ananias comes to Saul, as soon as he comes to him, it's an appearance that expresses God's love and forgiveness. It's an appearance that expresses God's love and forgiveness. Now he says in verse 12, he says, uh, Paul, uh, Saul has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So after three days, and it says he didn't eat anything, didn't drink anything, he's been praying, and God showed him in a vision, there will be a man called Ananias that will come, and he will lay hands on you, and you will receive sight. You say, well, Danny, then what was so unexpected about the appearance? The most unexpected part of the appearance was verse 17 in the first words that Ananias said to him. Ananias came to this murderer of Christians, came into his room as he is seated there praying, a blind man. He placed his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. Wow. Just in those two words, he was letting him know about God's love and God's forgiveness. The first words to come from a Christian to Saul was Brother Saul. You are a part of the family. You are a brother in Christ. You came to arrest me and imprison me, but you met the Lord. You became a follower. I welcome you and accept you as my brother in Christ. The essence of Christianity is love and forgiveness. And in Christ, Saul and Ananias, who were bitterest of enemies, have now become brothers in Christ. Fear and distrust was replaced with acceptance and forgiveness. Brother Saul, he laid his hands on him. And you know what was unexpected was that after that happened, the scales fell from his eyes, and he said he then went and he baptized him. And he ate and he got stronger. Paul wasn't expecting that. Maybe some guy's supposed to come and help me get my sight, but to welcome me into the family like that, that's amazing. The appearance, unexpected appearance. I believe there's, there's a call for you to have an unexpected appearance in someone's life. I think that there's people out there in your sphere of influence that need a Brother Saul moment. Find that person who's hurting and give them a call. Maybe a text, maybe take a meal, maybe pray with them. Let them know of your support of them. Let you know of their belief in them. And take the love and forgiveness of Jesus with you. Go to that person who is in need of a Brother Saul. I've got emails that I have saved that people have sent to me that have shown that, have just told me what people in this church have done and when they were at their lowest and they would give me the name of an individual that came and what they did and how they reached out to them. Because sometimes when we go through difficult times, we almost feel like we're alienated from the family rather than still part of the family. And you've experienced it. And it may be a situation that you control as your own mistake or it could be something you had nothing to do with. But yet you feel all that guilt and that separation on there. And as believers, what does it mean to walk up to someone like that and say brother or sister and just pray with them? Just give them that word of affirmation. It is huge what that means. 
And so it's an unexpected appearance. And so maybe this week, maybe next week, God will use you to be that one to go and be that unexpected appearance in someone's life and say, you know, God told me that I need to come over here. And God may have them on your heart right now. He may have that person. And you say, you know, I, I got to do that this week. Don't put it off. Ananias, he said, go. And that may be what yours is. Let me tell you the last appearance. And the unexpected appearance is found in verses 20 through 22. And that is to boldly share the truth of the gospel. To boldly share the truth of the gospel. Look what it says. This is just amazing. Verse 20. And it says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he's the son of God. And all who had heard him were amazed and they said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. By proving that Jesus was the Christ. That proving is a word that means to join together, to connect together. It's like he took all those Old Testament passages, and, and he put them together and understood how they were talked about who Jesus was. And he stood before the synagogue, and he confounded them. You talk about an unexpected appearance. Just think on, on that meeting of the synagogue on that day. You were showing up thinking the local rabbi was going to give his typical sermon, and all of a sudden you show up and he said, well, we got a guest speaker today. It's Paul, Saul from Tarsus. Whoa, that caused some fear. I would say, could y'all lead in prayer so I can slip out of here? This is the guy that kills people. And he stands up and gives a gospel presentation. Completely, completely unexpected. The unexpected appearance. And he went right to the synagogue. He went to the people that knew him the best. He knew the people that hated him the most. He went to the people that were the most scared of him. And he went right there in the teeth of all of that animosity. And he said, I am a changed man. And he lived out Romans 1.16 when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation and to everyone who believes. And he started off, soon as he received Christ as his Savior, he was not ashamed of the gospel, and he was proclaiming that he was the Son of God. He went right into the teeth of those who may disagree with him, and he began to confound them. He boldly shared the truth of the gospel. Unexpected appearance. Whoa. You know, my hope is that as God guides and directs your life, he will give you some opportunities for some unexpected appearances to come to where you get the opportunity to share your faith and to boldly say the truth of the gospel. Unexpected appearance. I remember when I was a sales manager uh, with uh, South Central Bell, and uh, I had uh, 10 folks that were working for me here in Birmingham, and one day in my office, one of the old timers, uh, which I mean by old timer, they were a veteran. They'd been there for a number of years, came by. Uh, they weren't really that old. They'd been with the company a long time. Sat in my office and said, I just got to tell you what's going on with my family. He just opened up. It opened up with some heartaches that were happening. Gave me an opportunity to sh share about who Jesus is and what could help his family and help his life. I just walked through the gospel and talked to him and, uh, and I had a word of prayer with him. And he said, well, I really I appreciate that. I, I just want to take that and think about that. And so he went home that weekend. He went to church. He comes back, talks to me uh, on that Monday, and he said, hey, I just want to tell you, I gave my life to Christ uh, Sunday at church. I want to tell you that things with my family, I've got some direction and looks like we're getting 
to be stronger in, uh, or taking those steps to have that happen. That was an unexpected appearance. It was an unexpected appearance that he would even show up in my office and then he would share these with me. And then I have that opportunity to boldly share the truth of the gospel. Or I could have just patted him on the back and said, hey, I uh, hope things work out. But it took advantage of that opportunity. And that's what I encourage you to do. Unexpected appearances. It may be that someone comes into your space, you have an opportunity to share with them, or it may be that you come into someone's space, and all of a sudden you have the opportunity to boldly share the gospel on that. Okay? Unexpected Jesus. He appears for salvation. And after he appears for salvation, then there's that call to radical obedience. And as we obey him, then we have that opportunity to express the love and forgiveness to others. And at the same time, we get to boldly share the truth of Christ. And tonight, today, as we get ready to come to, near to the close of our service, we have an opportunity to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. And what the Lord's Supper is, is uh, the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples before he was arrested. And so, as they're having this Passover meal, he, um, he gets with them and he begins to take the elements and talk to them about some uh, meaning of these elements. And he tells them to be sure and remember all the things that he did and about his life and his death and his resurrection. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a great reminder of the fact that he suffered on a cross and died, shed his blood for us, but then he's raised from the dead and one day he's coming back and it's victorious. And so in just a few moments, we will distribute these elements. But this is what I want to ask you to do, and that is it says uh, in the Bible that we're to prepare our hearts, prepare our hearts, that when we partake of this, we don't do it flippantly, but we do it in remembrance of Jesus. For every one of you that's a believer, as you partake of this, I want you to think about his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, and that um, there would be a sense of thanksgiving, a sense of uh, asking forgiveness for things in your life that have hindered your fellowship with Him. And just let this be a wonderful time where the Holy Spirit can stir your heart. Now, there's some of you here who you've never made a decision for Christ. And uh, as these elements are passed, we ask that you don't partake of it because it's for believers. Uh, so no one's going to look down on you. You just go on and pass it. But this is what I would ask you. Just as everyone else is praying, I want you to be thinking about that stirring that's going on in your heart. Because I believe that for some of you, it's an unexpected appearance that Jesus has come and he stirred your heart about making a decision for Christ. And it's my hope that as we go through this, that you would come to that point where you say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I want you to come into my heart. And so at this time, I'll ask for those that are going to uh, serve the elements, if you would come forward. And uh, as you come forward and, and uh, ask that you get in your position, then for all of us, let's be prepared. Let's have our hearts prepared for what God will teach us during this time of uh, the distribution of the elements of the Lord's Supper. So we'll give them just a moment to get in their place. And as they do, then I want to lead us in a word of prayer to prepare our hearts. And after I lead us in that word of prayer, we begin to pass the elements and just hold on to it. And then I'll give you instructions for how we'll partake of those. So let me lead us in a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Jesus. So I just thank you. I thank you for the fact that you love the world so much that you sent your son to die for us. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper, may you speak to our spirits and stir within us uh, the things that you want to accomplish in our life. May there be thanksgiving for what you have done in our lives. And at the same time, may there be penitence and asking for forgiveness for the times when we have uh, disappointed you. And may we complete this service with a uh, stronger focus of serving you and being live sent. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.